Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to episode 12 of From Page to Practice. This episode is on the brilliant Stop Talking About Wellbeing by Kat Howard. This episode features readers from a range of contexts from EYFS all the way up to secondary and sixth form, NQTs to senior leaders, showing that wellbeing is a topic that affects us all. In fact, the sheer amount of contributions that Kat's book has from other people speaks volumes about how important wellbeing is as a topic and how urgent it is that we discuss this for the good of the profession. As an example, I thought I'd share some of the contributions Kat has included from other people. There are lots of honest reflections from teachers on topics from struggling with holiday time to inset that they feel is wasting their time, all of which serve to give the book a personal and realistic feel. The quotes are both shocking at times and also very relatable at others. There are ideas and discussions surrounding feedback and how this can be made more manageable. There are examples of how to make long-lasting resources so that we don't find ourselves having to recreate resources time and time again. Flexible working is discussed, an important topic that more people need to be informed about. Hopefully this will help spread the word amongst those that are yet to give it any real thought. These are just a few of the ways in which others have contributed to this book. Seeing the way this book is being discussed online, not only via Twitter but in Amazon reviews, just goes to show the power of what Kat has dared to talk about, arguably the most important topic in education right now, well-being. I truly believe that anyone working in education, in any context, at any career stage, should read this book as there's something for everyone to take away, no matter who you are. So, without further ado, let's hear from Kat, who's going to tell us a bit more about the journey that led to her writing this book and what she hopes people will get from reading it. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Hi, I'm Kat Howard, author of Stop Talking About Wellbeing, A Pragmatic Approach to Teacher Workload. Um, I'm here just to kind of talk you through um, how the book came about, how kind of um, my various levels of frustration that came to writing a book about um, why we need to stop talking about wellbeing, um, some of the messages um, behind the book that I hope that um, readers take away from it. Um, a little bit of a walkthrough, so um, the various different aspects of workload that I look at uh, within the book, um, and also some kind of um, key takeaways, for, particularly for different groups of teachers that might be reading. Um, so Stop Talking About Wellbeing came about um, as a result of um, frustrations um, at various points in my career. If I think back to when I first came to teaching, um, I was working in the financial sector as a a senior manager for a period of time before I decided to retrain um, and um, go back to education in order to train to be a teacher. Uh, When I first started training to teach, I found it really frustrating to not really be able to unpack um, what it was that made an effective teacher. I found that really difficult because I didn't feel that that information was readily available. 
I think it's quite hard to define um, define what makes an effective teacher. And so I, I struggled with that a little bit. I also struggled immensely with how steep the learning curve is um, for trainee teachers and early careers teachers. And even um, in perhaps... Um, areas where um, I would have hoped to accomplish it fairly quickly because of either um, the lack of systemic support um, or individual um, support um, in various places. Um, I didn't feel that it was as manageable as it could have been. Um, I feel that particularly for early careers teachers and trainee teachers, we don't necessarily demystify the process. Um, if anything, when I trained to teach, it was a little bit like jumping through hoops, except you didn't really know how big the hoops were or whether they were on fire or not. Um, but also early careers teachers that we kind of take away that scaffold, we take away the support that's in the room. And it's almost like getting in the car for the first time after your driving test and you don't really know whether to take a left or a right because nobody's there to tell you. And that was very much how teaching in my early years felt. It was like a trial and error process and a little bit sink or swim. Um, so I found that a little bit frustrating. I also found it um, a bit saddening to look around the room at the end of my training year and um, the room be missing of so many people that I started the training year with. Um, so loads of, of people, not loads of people, but a significant, in my mind, significant proportion of people weren't there um, to complete the course. And that, for me, raised questions as to why that might be. Um, I also then, my frustrations um, kind of revisited um, or kind of um, rose to the surface again, shall we say, when um, when I was um, working as a teacher in early careers. Um, we had um, Ofsted at the school that I was at in my NQT year and the frenzied panic around that. And I wouldn't necessarily say that that was panic that came, um, that, that, you know, was... Um, source from myself but actually kind of almost um, um, frenzied up um, by by other agencies within school of the other parties um, the frustrations that I found as I started to make my way through teaching inform myself educate myself a little bit about teaching and learning um, and what that looked like and what I should be trying to achieve within the classroom um, I became more and more frustrated with um, with the workload side of things. Um, I found myself up against policies that made my job unmanageable. So, for example, you know, we have teachers working in schools with fortnightly marking policies and teachers not meeting those timescales of, of marking their books fortnightly. Um, but instead of, and I found it really interesting, instead of questioning why those teachers weren't in a position to to meet those timescales, we were holding teachers to account. We were we were red amb you know rag marking teachers. We were red amber greening their capability to mark, using a policy that they couldn't meet because there wasn't the time to do so. And so a lot of the things that we were doing in school, I was looking around and you know less experienced teachers. So this is in my first my first few years of teaching. Um, obviously it's quite difficult to find your voice because everybody else has been there so much longer than you and. and they seem to be getting on all right um and I was kind of looking around and observing that other people weren't meeting these policies and other people were struggling with workload and other people were leaving teaching and um I didn't really understand why we were putting people in a position where they seemed really reluctant to leave the profession 
and yet they were doing so all the same. So that was a little bit of a point of contention for me. Um, I've been in middle leadership, so I've just come to, to senior leadership um, in the last the last six months. Um, previous to that, I worked in middle leadership for a long time. And um, I was getting more and more frustrated by um, obstacles like that example um, of, of, like the example of kind of policies that help people to account without providing them the support that they need um, to actually um, carry out their job. Um, I also found the um, that the more uh, the observation one of the main observations I made was that the more time that teachers spend on administration tasks, on behaviour management, of anything that kind of takes them further away from the reason that they came into teaching in the first place, um, really disengaged teachers with the system, and that was something that I I really struggled to understand why why we would do that as a profession, why we would kind of drive people who were really willing to teach. Um, to a position where they felt that they couldn't do it anymore. Um, and so Stop Talking About Wellbeing was kind of born out of this 10,000-word rant that I sat and wrote out whilst I was on maternity leave about all of the different um, points of contention that um, that I had come about during my time teaching and what I thought that we could do about them. Um, and so I, I went away and researched not only kind of um, education-based research or research around education and um, educational systems, but also kind of organisational systems. I think sometimes when we talk about teaching as a corporate entity, it gets a little bit of a negative press, but actually there's a lot that we can learn um, from um the business sector um, and that kind of um, the systems that businesses and organisations, large corporate organisations put in place to support people. Um, And actually, um, I think outside of education, there are some examples of that happening really, really well. Um, And so when I wrote um, Stop Talking About Wellbeing, that was kind of what I had in the forefront of my mind. How do we keep, you know, there are a quarter of a million teachers in the UK at the moment that are qualified and trained to teach um, but aren't teaching in our schools. And if we want to talk about the idea of being on the cusp, of being on the brink of a retention crisis, we need to think about why we have such a large number of teachers that are essentially ready to go um, but choose not to work in our schools. And so the book really looks at well-being in a new way, I think, um, instead of looking at the tokenism that we sometimes find in schools um, and the ideas that, you know, we can make stuff feel better with a yoga class or with cake every week or, um, you know, having a hot chocolate day. Um, actually, we need to get to the nuts and the bolts as to why people are struggling at an individual level, um, but also within the systems of a school and how we can support them to... Um, to not feel as though they're they're sinking as much and so the book takes um, a little bit of a varied journey around that I have provided some reading routes at the beginning of the book that help you to kind of direct maybe your initial chapter visits uh, because we I appreciate the fact that you know we're all at completely different points um depending on where you are in your career um I also do look at workload reduction at an individual level for the teacher. So, you know, the, the kind of the day-to-day teaching role. Um, but also um, how senior leaders um, actually have a lot of autonomy at local level to um, 
to make changes that would really support their staff body, that would improve retention within their schools. Um, and also at a national level, I end with a, a manifesto as to how we can support teachers to improve conditions in schools at a national level. Um, and I really do feel um, that that's possible. And so... Um, the book starts with um, with my why, which is actually quite a personal story, um, but it wasn't intended as to you know to perhaps be um, anecdotal or you know um, autobiographical and um, autobiographical even, but um, more to tell the story as to why it was important to me to um, the experiences that I'd had that led to this kind of point of frustration of putting this book together. Um, uh, essentially um the you know that that chapter is really to kind of set the standard and make um the re- make the reader think about well why did i come to teaching in the first place why am i still here even though it's really difficult because i think that's important to return to that purpose what's that overarching purpose that you came into teaching for um and then um the book looks at a variety of different things that have an impact on our well-being i believe that well-being is the outcome of um support and making people feel um as though they're supported and have autonomy um within schools within their role and so well-being is almost the outcome of all of those things we can't patronize people by telling them what's good for them or what makes them happy because what makes one person happy is entirely different and bespoke um to what makes the next person happy all we can do is free up as much time as we can for teachers to um to ensure that most of their time is spent talking about teaching or thinking about teaching or teaching itself and not on all the other stuff um but we also need to think about how we're treating teachers as human beings first um and employees second within our schools um and that doesn't need to be kind of a a fluffy tokenistic attempt but can actually be um policy driven and um and from a place where we are demonstrating um, exactly, explicitly, how the leadership team will support those individuals. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, key takeaways for me, um, I really hope that um, a vast um, amount of the readers will take away the fact that um, workload is an objective process. You only have so many hours in the week and you are only one human being. And so we talk a lot about working smart or people coping or not coping when that really isn't the language that we should be using around workload. It really is an objective conversation as to, um, you know, I've got this many mock papers to mark and I have this amount of time and the the calculation doesn't work and so where shall I find that time from um I also hope that um that people um start to um, start to think about um how we can support people on a a systematic level within our schools and so the people um, before procedures really talks about how we can build not just family friendly schools but people friendly schools schools that support people at various points of their career we do a lot for early careers teachers now because it's a national priority but actually how are we um, supporting people through the various stages of their career um I also hope that people take away um, the 
importance of finding your fit, the importance of finding the right school for you, I think is absolutely paramount. And if there are certain aspects of the school that you're working in that don't seem to work or don't make sense, um, and there's a there's an entire kind of section called Objective Rebellion, which is exactly that, that it's all about a dual, forming a dual narrative between teachers and senior leaders to senior leaders should be asking for challenge, should be asking people to find holes with initiatives or ideas that they're bringing to the table because that's how we refine, that's how we get better. But on the flip side of that, those teachers should also be not only objecting to issues or finding holes, but providing solutions, questioning things and then thinking about, okay, what's the, what's the solution? What am I trying to achieve? How can we work together to, to make this change or this initiative or whatever is in front of us, this process, work for everybody, work to improve um, pupil outcomes, but also um, not compromise on teacher workload in the process. So I really hope that's what um, that's what you get, if not more, from um, from the book when you read it. But thank you so much for reading, if you are reading at the moment, or if you have read it, um, or if you've left me a review, or just dropped me a message to give me some feedback, because it really, really is truly appreciated. Um, this was very much my fourth baby, and I'm incredibly proud of it. So it's just nice to know that, that um, people are taking some away from the book thank you you're listening to from page to practice join the conversation on twitter using hashtag page practice podcast having heard from cat it's now time to hear from some people that have read the book some have read cover to cover some have dipped in and out and just read a couple of chapters however our first contribution comes from someone who just oozes passion about teacher well-being and he's on his third time through the book I found it such an enjoyable contribution to listen to as it's so clear what this book means to him and I'm sure he's going to do great things with it. So here's Steve Hoey to explain for himself. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Hi, my name is Steve Hoey and I'm a school leader and coach. I'm also the founder of the Inclusion Bridge, which is a social enterprise that helps young people re-engage with their education. I love reading. I always have. And Stop Talking About Wellbeing by Kat Howard was a title that jumped out at me and made me think, hmm, interesting. Especially because a lot of my work involves working with young people, their families and teachers around issues of wellbeing and mental health. I read it cover to cover in a weekend bit difficult when you've got four kids. I read it again with my trusty highlighter. And now on my third reading, I've read it from cover to cover, I've dipped in and out, and more importantly, I've recommended it to friends and colleagues. It's not often you come across a book that really resonates you, with you, that makes you reflect, gosh, that is so true, and makes you think that Cat is really a mind reader. Each chapter starts with some lovely quotes, ranging from my favourite, Bilbo Baggins, to Marcus Aurelius, and ends with some reflective questions for you to ponder. My advice is don't gloss over these. Take your time to reflect on them and what they really mean, and even discuss with colleagues. Cat dives straight in. Wellbeing needs tackling, and not just by quick fixes and cheap remedies. We need to look systematically at those parts of the school system that are getting in the way of good mental and physical health, of the deep satisfaction of a job well done. 
She makes no bones about it. This is deep work and does not happen overnight. It is fundamentally a shift in culture. We all, we all have a responsibility to open up this conversation because we need well-balanced and well-supported professionals working with our pupils. This book does not give you any easy answers. It makes you look at well-being differently in a concrete fashion, not in the form of cake on a Friday and yoga sessions at lunch. It is full of practical advice and offers you a realistic sense of hope. It's important to recognise that people are human beings first and professional seconds, that we all need time and space to give us the energy to care for ourselves properly. Nobody comes into teaching who wants to do a bad job. And your well-being on the whole is linked to your ability to teach so that you can experience a sense of purpose and well-meaning. It's that simple. Kat shares her own narrative and the choices that she was making were a result of external pressures. She points out that breaking points don't come all at once, but in chips and smattering of cracks. Trigger factors are caused by a series of circumstantial things that were not within her control. She was not the problem, but her environment was. We all want to stay in teaching if that means that we can work within a system that values us as professionals. A punitive approach does not grow people. Teachers need empowerment so they can self-regulate their own physical and mental health. Well-being is the fulfilment of our why, our purpose, or being in a workplace that breeds the capability to teach effectively, builds productive relationships, makes us feel as though we have accomplished a balance between satisfying all our roles. We have a duty of care for our, our young people for our colleagues and more importantly ourselves. Good schools view teachers as humans of head and heart, turning the cogs of the school with purpose and perseverance. There is no pupil well-being without teacher well-being. Every single person that works in a school community. There are some superb contributions from schools that are trying to change through workload reduction, but also through clear, humane, ethical leadership that is developing a culture of trust and collaboration. Kat says that we must all master gratitude. So I will finish with a big thank you to Kat and all the people who have inspired her and contributed to such a heartfelt, hard-hitting and humane book. In the very last paragraph, Kat urges us all to share our intentions. So I'm going to share mine. My first intention is to look after myself because you can't pour from an empty cup. But we must also take action. Change is possible if we stop talking about well-being and start investing in a profession that changes lives. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Hopefully now you heard what I meant. Clearly this book has really resonated with Steve. In this next section, we're going to hear from Kirsty Peat and Samantha Allison about their thoughts and takeaways from Stop Talking About Wellbeing. Hello, my name's Kirsty Peat and I'm currently a behaviour manager at a secondary school in Salford. As a school, we are always developing ways to support our children's mental health and wellbeing. However, as they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. I started to look at ways we could be more mindful and support our colleagues. And that's when I picked up Stop Talking About Wellbeing. 
The best part about this book is the ability to dip in and out at various sections. This pragmatic approach is really useful. The book is designed with clear reading routes relevant to you and your role within school. My takeaways have been the reflective logs and activities which I've found extremely beneficial. They've enabled me to not only support colleagues but to also reflect on my own well-being and practice. For me, the most useful chapter is the crisis indicator section. This looks at issues both right now and later on, which is something that I've found really useful. I will be taking this away to use in line management meetings with staff. However, I have also trialled this activity with students and it's worked really well. I would highly recommend this book to anybody in education, but especially those line managing other staff within schools. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Hi, my name is Sam, an EYFS phase leader in a large school in Leicestershire. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Cat Howard's book launch, Stop Talking About Wellbeing, and it got me really excited about the potential changes I could make at my school. I've flicked through the book, I've read a couple of chapters, and I'm currently making notes to take back into school to discuss with the deputy head about potential changes we could make. The book really goes on about people not really knowing what well-being is in terms of teachers in schools. It's not aromatherapy, it's not cakes, it's not sports socials, it's not after-school yoga classes or biscuits on a Friday. It's really thinking about teachers and empowering them. The chapter I want to discuss is the first chapter, My Why, What is Teaching to Me, where Kat talks about her life in teaching and the experiences that she's had. But in summary, what it really goes on about as well is the fact that teachers can feel constrained, the fact that we are not left really for time for ourselves and we often ponder over why we are not good enough. She proposes a manifesto that we as a profession will only be in a fit state to provide a level of education that children are entitled to if we hold staff in the highest regard within our schools. And I think that's really important. She says teachers need empowerment so they can self-regulate their own physical and mental health through a methodical approach to teaching and operating better. She also says that well-being is fulfilling our why, our purpose of being in a workplace that breeds a capability to teach effectively, build productive relationships, make us feel as though we have accomplished a balance between satisfying all of our life roles. As a teacher, we constantly, I feel, are bigging up the children, giving them positive praise, but as teachers ourselves, we sometimes don't get that back. She sets out some bullet points of things that we should really think about that I've thought hard about as well. She talks about not working at home as much. She talks about, I don't work in the evening because I need to sleep. I don't send emails late at night because I don't want to read them. That's something we've enforced recently at school. We've talked about not sending emails after a certain time and not sending them at weekends. And since just reading that chapter, I've switched off the notifications on my phone and I choose to look at them when I want to look at them. There are a couple of reflection pieces in this chapter which I'm going to go back to school and send out some questionnaires to staff to see what they think. Particularly the bit where it says, to what extent do you currently feel fulfilled at work? What do you enjoy most about teaching? What do you enjoy the least? And how long have you felt this way? 
It also talks about obstacles. What are the three elements that impact your workload the most, both inside and outside of school? What do you wish you had more time for at work? And which task currently at work receives more of your time than you feel it should? I just feel these questions are really important and I'm going to be going back to school and I'm also going to be asking people to answer these questions so we can perhaps look at the workload at school. I feel empowered that just by having this book and reading a couple of chapters that I've got my deputy head on board. I've also got some of the governing body on board. One of our staff governors is um, on the wellbeing board and she's trying to make a difference and she's trying little things and they are making a difference but I'm hoping that Kat's book will really help um, make a difference at my school. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Next to tell us what they thought about Stop Talking About Wellbeing is Becca Pennington. Hello, my name is Becca Pennington and I'm currently in NQT teaching English in a large secondary school in Leicester. I think that one of the reasons that I was drawn to read Stop Talking About Wellbeing is that since starting my uh, training in 2018, I have done an awful lot of talking about wellbeing. As trainees, we talked about it with our university tutors, with current teachers, with teachers we knew who had left the profession, and teacher workload and wellbeing was always made out to be this kind of scary, monstrous creature we were going to have to overcome if we wanted to survive as teachers. We were looking at statistics suggesting that around 16% of NQTs leave after their first year, or that only around 67% of teachers are still in the profession after the first five years. And as people right at the beginning joining the profession, that was quite a, a scary thought that something that we enjoyed and wanted to do and a career that we wanted to have might not be possible because of issues surrounding teacher well-being. Um, when I started to read the book then I was really um, impressed and I really appreciated how honest and down-to-earth it is and um, the way that Kat Howard approaches these issues around workload and well-being. In the beginning of the book, Kat talks about her experience teaching and her experiences with um, issues surrounding well-being in a really frank and honest way. Um, I think that, for me, was really useful in a lot of ways um, to know that things that I had discussed with other NQTs um, and issues around well-being that I, I heard come up again and again and again were things that were known about, were things that were acknowledged by people throughout the profession and that this was actually a book that was going to look at ways that we could um, improve well-being as a whole. Um, the book then has um, five kind of suggested reading routes that I found really useful, um, different ways that you could approach the book depending on what part of your career that you're in um and I think that that coupled with the the reflection questions at the end of each chapter thinking about how different aspects of well-being can affect us or have affected us and what we could potentially do or suggest at school to improve those things has been um a really useful way 
of being able to use this book. Um, one of the chapters that I think have had a, a big impact on me so far is the chapter called The Nature of the Beast. Um, and it's one in which Cat Howard encourages us to view ourselves as one of the most important resources in the classroom. Because if we don't, if we aren't at our best and we haven't looked after ourselves, then our teaching can't be at our best and therefore the children can't learn at their best. Um, and in that chapter, Kat mentions quite a few points that we we know to be true. Things like we need to drink enough water or we need to make sure we're getting enough sleep that quite often we might overlook or not make time for. Um, but since reading it, I have been really trying to look after my own health in that way, making sure that I'm drinking enough throughout the day um, not just worrying that I'm going to have to dash off, potentially go to, to go to the toilet during lessons and things like that. Things that cause anxiety, as, as Kat Howard mentioned in that chapter. Um, I've avoided the snooze button in the morning to make sure that I'm getting enough sleep. Um, and that I've, I've seen the benefits of it. I feel better in myself and I feel more energetic um, and I feel more capable of getting through the day, which I think has um, had an impact on my ability to teach over the last couple of weeks. Um, another section of the book that I found was particularly useful for me, um, thinking about my teaching practice, was the chapter on the imposter syndrome. I think that as teachers, and especially as NQTs, it's really... Um, easy to feel that you are an imposter in that classroom I think for me particularly it's happened with my key stage four classes despite the fact that I know that I have the subject knowledge and that I know what the um, assessment criteria are and I know what is required of the students I felt I've always had a little bit of a, a nagging voice in my head suggesting to me that perhaps I don't know that as well as um, I think I do, or that perhaps um, I, I shouldn't be in that classroom teaching those students. Um, what I have really tried to do then is um, what Cat Howard suggests about uh, kind of um, using that little voice, using the, the belief that you might be an imposter in some ways to actually improve yourself and improve your teaching instead so instead of um allowing the little voice to tell me that I don't know enough to be in my key stage four classroom actually reassuring myself when I have done the work and I have done the preparation so that when I go into the room I can be more confident um which is something I've been trying to do this week and I have seen the benefit of it um I, I found that by taking on board what the little imposter voice is telling me and um, taking steps to reassure myself that I know that it's not true has actually enabled me to teach better and to get more out of the students in those lessons. It's something that I think I'm going to be trying to remember as I come sort of towards the end of my NQT year and keep reassuring myself that um where 
I have previously felt like an imposter that actually I'm doing everything that I can. Um, another point that Kat Howard mentions about reassuring yourself, uh, reassuring that voice that tells you in, that you are an imposter is about speaking to your colleagues and making sure that um, you are seeking feedback if you feel like you aren't uh, doing as well as you think you are or doing as well as you would like to be. Uh, embracing the voice to help you improve um which is something I've tried to do within my department this week speak to other teachers and uh, about what's going on in my classroom and, and asking for support or feedback um which has, has again really started to help me um use that voice of the imposter syndrome rather than be um be be shied by it or feel like uh, I'm allowing it to take over um I think that the, there is a lot in this book that I could continue to talk about lots of different points I could talk about um but really I think it's just an incredibly useful way of thinking about your own workload and thinking about your own well-being of a teacher as a teacher in order to continue to improve and to do the, the best that you can on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. And we have time now for one final contribution and this comes from Najwa. Hi, my name is Najwa. I'm a psychology teacher and curriculum lead at Film Cross Girls School. And I'm also an education a doctoral researcher at Brunel University. I'm a mother of two boys eight, aged um, eight and five. Um, and I currently work four days a week. And my aim is to try and have a positive mental health and a good work-life balance. I'm also an advocate for well-being at work and our wellbeing team at school have taken many measures to improve um, staff wellbeing at work um, in conjunction with change in teaching practice to facilitate that. Um, our SLT have been a great support and in fact um, our wellbeing community, uh, com community sorry, committee chair is our deputy head teacher which is um, a great model to facilitate discussion and action suggestions and staff feedback. Um, so in terms of uh, the book uh, Stop Talking About Wellbeing by Kat Howard, the deputy head um, read it actually and was impressed by it and, and decided to uh, base our, our following wellbeing meeting around the priorities raised um, in the book. Um, I then borrowed it to read it and to, to add my own suggestions before uh, planning the meeting. I must say, I, I couldn't put the book down. I was, I was actually um, agreeing with um, all the points and found myself actively nodding. Um, and, um, you know, um, so I was really impressed by the book. Now, to answer the question, how did I use the book to improve my practice or our practice at school? Well, I believe that change is best implemented in small steps. And the first thing we did was to pick out the things we already do. And we were very pleased to discover that we do quite a lot. Um, so, for example, um, Kat Howard discussed uh, marking versus feedback. And I think... 
you know, when we talk about workload and concerns about workload, the first thing that comes to mind is marking. It is loathed by most teachers, I know, and uh, rightly so, because it is actually, if it's not done well, um, it's a big waste of time and it doesn't add any value to learning. Um, so we, last year as a school, we changed our marking policy um, from, you know, one, it was, I think, once um, a half term or twice a half term for core subjects. Um, and we had to evidence and, um, you know, have marking stickers, uh, you know, and um, etc. cetera. Um, and we changed that to a feedback policy that was built on purposeful feedback encouraging whole class feedback, peer assessment, codes, redrafting, uh, you know, quizzes and um, kind of knowledge checkers in the lesson. Um, You know, it was no longer about ticking and red pen as evidence. Um, So when we're marking the book, so we now spend the time on practices that are more beneficial to students learning. So that's something we managed to change and I'm very proud of. Um, the second point is communication. Uh, we have uh, changed our email policy uh, in order to clarify expectations. Staff are not expected to answer emails after working hours. If it's urgent, then we believe it needs to be done face-to-face. Um, we also now have a staff bulletin, which goes out at 4pm every day, which includes all, you know, whole staff emails, all in one place. So just to avoid being bombarded by numerous emails throughout the day. Um, now we are also considering, after reading, you know, the chapter from the book, adding WhatsApp to to our policy, as we are aware that some departments tend to use it, um, you know, initially to start social conversations. However, I'm sorry, it becomes work-related. And this perhaps can have an impact on others who want to just enjoy their weekend or their time after school, not thinking about work. So that's something that we have to um, think about. And the third point, um, I'm only going to discuss three points because of uh, time restrictions. Um, Flexible working. This is actually my favourite and, uh, you know, I think my priority. So... Um, being a part-timer and um, you know we have quite a few uh, flexible working teachers and uh, it is increasing so next year next September we'll have quite a few more than we have now Um, it's it's uh, very normal we have uh, quite a few new mothers and we also have not so new mothers who would like to spend more time with their children understandably so um, what we do we kind of need to put in place, um, we have put quite a few things in place to accommodate flexible working, but I think we need to do slightly more. Um, so it's about making sure that we know, uh, you know, we that there is a policy for flexible working, but we just need to make sure that everyone um, is aware of the policy, knows their rights, um, uh, knows the changes, um, you know, it's about developing systems for flexible workers to catch up perhaps on the work they've missed without incre- necessarily having to use their day off. Um, it's about knowing the expectations of, our, for example, parents' evenings, CPDs, and um, which might fall on their days off. So this is now work in progress, uh, but will nonetheless be on the agenda for our next wellbeing meeting so I'm quite excited about discussing this 
uh, with uh, the rest of our wellbeing team. And uh, yes, so those are the three points I've picked out from the book. But the book is extremely useful. Um, I think if you read it, it will raise some questions. It will uh, open up discussions at your school. And, uh, you know, if you don't have a wellbeing committee, then uh, perhaps this is the time to to um, to have one because uh, well-being should be at the top of the agenda. But we need to kind of stop talking about it and kind of do things um, about it. Um, so thank you for listening. And I hope that um, I've been, uh, you know, a bit useful. <laughs> um, but yeah, as long as the conversation is started at school, then I think, you know, things could be could be improved. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag Page Practice Podcast. It's been a while since I've contributed much to an episode beyond actually bringing it all together, of course. That's just a side effect of having so many people being willing to contribute and providing such high quality contributions. In that respect, today is no different, but this book has resonated with me to the point that I just can't miss the opportunity to add some of my own thoughts. So, just before we wrap up uh, for another fortnight, I'm going to share some of the parts of the book that have me nodding the most, and why. From page 269 of Stop Talking About Wellbeing. When we discuss change in schools, it often feels like wishful thinking. We are victims of our own cognitive bias. Processes have always been carried out in this way, or we've had to like it and lump it. Often, we view teaching as a rite of passage. There are certain elements that we seem to believe are just part and parcel of what it means to teach. But I feel that this is such a dangerous approach, and one that has perhaps led to us to our current destination, burnout and exit rate. It's just not good enough to say, that's just teaching, and it's meant to be hard, anymore. It never was, but then I think we already know that. To me, this has to be one of the most important messages to take away from this book, and it's something that really needs to be addressed and accepted. It's too easy to think that teaching has always been this way, so that's just how it is. For a start, it hasn't just always been this way. Processes have changed, pressures have changed, and we need to acknowledge those things. The sooner teachers at all career stages realise this, the quicker and easier it will be to implement some real worthwhile change. Kat continues in the same vein some 150 pages later, at the start of her manifesto for workload, stating, There's an undercurrent from sceptics that potential strategy around well-being and workload reduction is unrealistic, and that teaching is just teaching. This broken nature of the profession is simply a byproduct of what it means to be a teacher. With the greatest of respect, I think that's ridiculous. Even if it were a valid claim, to continue to work people into the ground to the point that they no longer recognise what it was that they set out to achieve is the most outrageous way to keep teachers in schools. If we honestly think that it's acceptable to continue with such discrepancy across education as a whole, we're more than mistaken. So the core demands of Cat's manifesto for workload are place a priority upon the work, balance workload with fewer things in depth, eradicate hierarchy, and give staff a voice. Ensure that humanity is central to schools. Train staff in order to move them onwards. Avoid fear and master gratitude. To finish, Kat's final words of the book, before encouraging the reader to reflect, are these. Change is possible, and it will happen, 
if we collectively commit to not just being invested in ourselves as human beings, but being invested in our profession. Surface-level care is not sufficient to run something as glorious and magnificent as teaching. For that reason, and that reason alone, I implore you, stop talking about well-being. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. I'll reiterate just one more time for this episode. This book has made me think more and produced more of an emotional reaction within me than any other I've read in a while. Kat has managed to create a book here which weaves in anecdote with research, shows the current state of play and makes suggestions for moving forward. If you've not read it yet, you really should. As per usual, a huge thanks to everyone that has contributed or shown interest in contributing to this episode. There were a number of people who were intending on having their say, but for various reasons were unable to, and I appreciate their interest in being involved. Maybe another time. The next episode will be on Sarah Mullins' What They Didn't Teach Me on My PGCE. Such a varied book, so there will be a lot to talk about. If you've read it, or you're one of the contributors and want to discuss your contribution to the book, then please do get in touch. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article, or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash PagePracticePodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.